I realized that we had hit a new phase of pandemic life this year. When a while back I was heading into a Zoom meeting and one of my kids called out to me, hey, so, so the parent on duty is Karen now, right? Yep, I, I called back, please, please be respectful. And off I went. It was the kind of quick baton pass of responsibility that I have done so many times with other parents and babysitters as we shuffle our kids around. The main difference this day in this season was that now the, the parent on duty to whom my kids referred was our dear friend Karen, who lives in Philadelphia. And uh, she was paying attention to my kids on this iPad using FaceTime. Parent on duty on an iPad. I was still in the house. It's just a, a closed door. This past year has brought mayhem and chaos and so much change. It has to the way that we've lived as our own little family, to how we all live in community, to, well, how we do really anything human. In so many ways, the pandemic has been an apocalyptic time not because of the destruction that it's brought, not in that way that we so commonly talk about apocalypse, but because of what it has revealed. That's the idea of apocalypse at its core, that it's a time or an event that pulls back the veil, that uncovers what is true, but that has been forgotten or hidden. It shows us who we are, what we're about, and what maybe needs to change. Landing back in his hometown for the first time in a while, Jesus steps into his own mini-apocalypse of sorts. Or maybe more accurately, he, he brings it and passes it around for everybody to sample. Before we get into that, it might be helpful to have a quick recap of what is going on, where we are since we've been jumping around for a while in other Gospels. So we're back near the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has been baptized in the River Jordan and driven out into the wilderness He's called his disciples and started this public ministry where he's healed the sick and cast out demons and eaten with outcasts a lot. And people have noticed all of this. The scribes, some of the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they are uneasy with this new teacher. And the crowds have heard rumors. They've, they've caught glimpses of his impact. All these tired, hurting, hopeful people. They've come from all over the countryside because they have noticed. 
And now Jesus is back in his hometown, Nazareth, and, and he's continuing with all these flashy, compassionate acts. And his family has sure taken note. He's making a scene. It's embarrassing how tender he is with all these, these thronging, dirty people. It's troubling. His mother and his brothers try to rein him in, maybe acting with his best interests in mind alongside their own. He's going to get himself killed. This is what's going to do it, acting like this, talking like this. Pull it together, Jesus! <laughs> They're muttering to each other in loud whispers, Stop acting the loving fool! But just like this pandemic, Jesus is busy pulling back the veil. He's speaking to all these people, the scribes and the crowds, and yes, his family, in these apocalyptic parables. He points to the apocalypse both as the end of all, the, the summation of all time, and also right now. He's pulling back the curtain to reveal what is real and true on this day in our midst. And it turns out that what's real and true is a mystery and a surprise. It's, it's not the predictable order that we want and try to create and then cling to. It's not the way that things have always been, whether at church or in our towns or in the shape of the nuclear family that's so often prized as the gold standard. That's what the scribes want. That's what his family is urging him to return to. But there's another way Jesus shows us. It is simple and it is deeply challenging. And it's full of heart rooted in need and honesty and abundant, messy love. Last spring, when my husband Jesse and I were racking our brains to try and figure out how we were going to balance my work and his graduate studies and uh, the new reality that we weren't going to have school or childcare for a month. Uh, a month? <laughs> oh, it's funny now, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine a whole month without childcare? It was then that our friend, Karen, got in touch. Karen is a friend from college. She's a number of years younger than us, and she is not a parent. And she knew as soon as our world began shutting down that parents were one of the groups of people who were in for a wild ride, whether it lasted a couple of weeks or much longer. Karen was already close with our kids from various trips that we'd shared together over the years, and she got in touch wondering if she could set up a regular schedule to FaceTime with our kids, to give us a break, and, and to give our kids some extra attention. 
when I heard her offer, I cried <laughs> with relief and gratitude and surprise. Who does this? And so it was. Soon Karen was one of the very few people our kids were regularly interacting with. And as the weeks stretched into months and then more months and a year and beyond, she became a fixture in our daily lives, helping them with homeschool and, and watching through the screen brick by brick as Lego creations emerged and donning costumes cross-continentally to take part in all kinds of festivities, almost always Harry Potter-themed. <laughs> she just came. And this downbeat of shared time kept going until suddenly my kids were referring to Karen as one who might be their parent at a given time, even through the screen. And they were absolutely right. Of all the defiant, confounding things that Jesus does and teaches on this tense day in Nazareth, I think it's that one line at the very end of our passage today that, that takes the prize. His family of origin, his blood, they are trying to get him to stop, to be quiet, to come back home. They are pressing in, trying to, to push their way through the crowd to get word to him that enough is enough. And he gets the message, right? He hears that his mother and his brothers are calling for him, but he knows why, and he pushes right back. Jesus calls the question. He pulls back the veil. He looks at all those gathered around him, these people who have come searching for good news, longing for healing, reaching for hope. Jesus looks them in the eyes and says, here, here is my mother, here are my brothers and my sisters. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. But look again at who he's pointing to. Look at what they're doing as he's celebrating them doing the will of God. This is why it's so troubling. Apparently, doing God's will isn't first and foremost so much about doing it's not about being powerful and in control. It doesn't hinge on being brilliant and successful. It is about showing up. Full stop. These people he lifts up as family, as his family. They are doing the will of God by gathering by showing up, by simply being present. Everything else will flow from that. The feeding and the clothing and the righteous work alongside the least of these, that will come. Yes, we are called to that. But first, we're called to just show up. This is how we do God's will. This is how we are knit into one body of this most unlikely jumble of shapes and ways and perspectives, 
It happens by showing up in our need, showing up with our hunger, with our love, our longing, our truth, all of it. It starts by by coming together to sit, to listen, to be present to all that is unfolding between us. This is the simple, beautiful will of God that we show up and become kin.